0: Almighty God, we are indeed awed that our very prayers are mingling up with incense before your throne, a glorious place where the worship never ends. Father, we pray that one day we can be able to stand in your presence. We know it will not be by any merit of our own, but by the blood of your Son. Lord, prepare us for that coming day. Speak to us this very afternoon through your living word. Cut through the confusion the tiredness, the distractedness of our hearts, and, Lord, lay bare our very thoughts and intents as only your word can. We, speak that, we pray that you would be the one that's speaking despite the weakness of your servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Just for some context, while you're finding the passage, as uh, Brother Eric mentioned this morning, it is Palm Sunday. And we know this is, would be, uh, as we would remember, the week before Jesus' ultimate sacrifice and resurrection. And uh, that's where these events are taking place during that week. Palm Sunday has occurred, where Jesus tr- entered triumphantly into Jerusalem, uh, to the cries of Hosanna, to the laying down of palms, to and uh, meek and lowly riding on donkey, he came to the very temple, purify that temple of the of the financial corrupt dealings there, and um, went back to to Bethany. He was confronted by Pharisees. He rebuked them. He and yet in the very same passage, he spoke of how he wept over Jerusalem, how he wished he could have gathered like the hen, like a hen gathers his chicks, but they were not willing. And upon returning to Bethany during the evening, during that uh, just a few days before, it says two days um, before the actual Passover, where he would be the Passover lamb, this is the events that transpired. After two days was the feast of the Passover and unloved bread and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft, by craftiness, and put him to death. And they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there was some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence and been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me, ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And Judas... Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Why was this waste of the ointment made? Was the indignant response. To this woman's act of worship. What a waste. What makes something a waste? Sometimes we wonder if our lives are wasted. Our time is wasted, our money is wasted. What makes something a waste? In the indignant and self-serving, we read in another parallel passage that it was actually Judas Iscariot making these remarks and that he had a bit of self-interest in those remarks. It said that he was the one who held the bag. In other words, he was the treasurer of the disciples and he was, had access to the money that was in their pooled resources. I, I remember when I was young, I didn't think uh, 300 pence was that much. After all, $3 didn't go that far in the candy store. It went a lot farther than it did today, but um, but inflation has been at work for a few thousand years now, and we can get a little bit of context in realizing that a penny was what a day laborer was paid in, in another one of Jesus' parables. So this is really a year's wages, so we're we're talking not $3, but more like, I don't know, $70,000 uh, on that order. So it was a significant amount of money that this, this precious um, uh, alabaster, so a jeweled box, and it was broken. It was irredeemably broken, and this, this, this um, spice that was very, very expensive, obviously, was poured out irretrievably poor about, can't be gathered back anymore. And uh, this was important to Jesus. He said it was actually part of the gospel. Yeah, integral part of the gospel. What is this picture telling us? Brother Eric told us this morning about a. How pictures help us think a little more deeply, understand at a way that's not just encapsulated with a few dry definitions. This picture, broken and poured out, what a waste. Isn't that what Jesus... Wasn't he the precious Lamb of God the very Son of God. We thought this jeweled box was something pure. It said a pure spikenard. What about the pure Lamb of God? We thought it was irretrievably broken. He gave his life. He was broken and humiliated. It was it was not the pure Spikenard, but it was his blood running down that cross. It was his love, as we heard this morning running down that cross, a love for you because he did not think it was a waste to be broken and poured out for you. My dear listener, think about that. He did not think it was a waste for him, the very Son of God, to be broken, humiliated, tortured, abandoned by God, and poured out to save you. He thought your life was worthy of that sacrifice. You see how It is the gospel. A little bit of context that Jesus had. He saw this in a bigger picture. It wasn't just about the money. You probably all know people that that reduce everything to that, like, one dimension. You know, how much is it? How much is it worth? How many dollars and cents is it worth to me, or can I get for this? It's all reduced to money. And it seems like Judas Iscariot was kind of in that camp. We read the very next verse, he's going to the priests and saying, hey, how much will you give me? You know, he could tell this... RIDE WAS COMING TO AN END, THAT JESUS WAS GOING TO DIE ONE WAY OR ANOTHER, HE MIGHT AS WELL MAKE SOME MONEY ON IT. IS THAT, MAYBE THAT'S HIS, I DON'T KNOW, THAT'S PURE SPECULATION, BUT HE WAS CLEARLY MOTIVATED BY THE MONEY. Uh, HE MAY HAVE THOUGHT, WHAT A WASTE. JESUS COULD BE KING, I COULD BE AT HIS SIDE, MAYBE THAT WAS HIS VISION. They all wanted to make him king. He can feed 5,000 people out of a couple. Of sh- He's unstoppable. Make him king. And I'd be the treasurer. And what a waste. Jesus had so much potential. And here he is wasting it on healing and speaking to the poor and 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 making some abstract points. And when he could be making political, uh, he could establishing power. What a waste, thinks Judas. There may be people who think you are wasting your time this afternoon. What a waste for you to be sitting in this dingy inside. You could be doing other things. Things that might be more entertaining. Things that might give you more financial advantage, more social advantage, might position you better for success in in your life here. What a waste. What a waste that you spend your time. Depends on your perspective, doesn't it? Is those... 300 pennies or or those 30 pieces of silver? You weigh that, you know, depends if you, all you see is in a building and a humble group of people or do you see with the eyes of Jesus? Do you see past the mere fleshly exterior? to the eternal value that Jesus sees. As Eric alluded, yesterday we were gathering together as the ministers and elders of Ontario, and the brother who had the opening remarks, he, he gave a visual that is stuck with me. Uh, it's really kind of gripped me, I, I guess, I remember vividly uh, Boxing Day 2004, um, the, the the images, the videos that uh, came of of Thailand and, and, and the devastation of the tsunami. And then again, we had that recently in Japan and, and the brother said, you know you can you could see something was going to happen. The water recedes. It pulled back and, and all this ocean floor was exposed and and uh, there, everything was being pulled back and, and there was this lull of this impending wave of devastation that was going to come. This unstoppable wave. And people were even curious and they go out wow this is interesting let's let's see what I can I've never seen this ocean floor explored look at look at this and only to be lured instead of warned And the brother was talking about how we can see that uh, the message of Jesus Christ the message of the Word of God, is becoming less and less popular in today's day and age as it is a rock that is fixed and doesn't shift with the shifting morals and the shifting, um, you know, uh, social climate and political correctness that would say what was wrong before is now protected and cannot be spoken against or you are a criminal. We can see... The brother said that a tsunami is going to come against those who would hold on to the truth. And are we prepared? And what should we do to prepare? Was the discussion that we we had. And Jesus, you can imagine, he's not unaware of the own his own coming tsunami one that he could have escaped but that he chose not to he was not unaware of the coming time it was enough to make him sweat drops of blood as he agonized over it as he as he anticipated the not only the shame and the humiliation and the torture and the pain, but the abandonment by his, his heavenly Father—they've been intimate communion for all eternity past. But despite that, he knew that the tsunami was not the final word. Yes, it would come crashing down. Yes, it would sweep everything away. It would seem unstoppable. And that would be Friday. And then would come Sunday. And he would rise again. Rise again by God's power. It was sobering. It was not a light thing. He, he pleaded with God, if there be any other way, but it was worth it. You were worth it. You were worth it for him to remain and to be broken, to be poured out. What do we do when we know we're gonna be going and passing through some very difficult times? We see the wave, do we freeze in fear? It's not gonna help. Do we become paralyzed? reading Isaiah 41 where the people of Israel they're going to be swept away by this Babylonian invasion was going to come it was going to obliterate the temple burn down the very presence of God the people of God uprooted taken away to a strange place it seems unstoppable there'll be nothing left rubble and Isaiah speaks to them and he says you see these people you see you know their trust in these idols substitute mammon but thou Israel art my servant Jacob whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, thou I have taken from the ends of the world and called thee from the chief men thereof. Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and will not cast thee away. Fear thou not. Why? For I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. All those... They'll be ashamed. You'll look for them and you won't even find a trace of them when this is all done. That water of that tsunami will recede and there will be nothing left of that unstoppable water over your head. Nothing left in the end. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. Does that inspire confidence? Yes, it does, because it doesn't matter that you're as powerless as a worm. That's not where your strength lies. That's where your confidence lies. It's not that you are going to be able to hold back the tsunami by your own hand. No, don't worry about that. That's not where your strength lies. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And he, in this prophecy, he alludes here in 41, and then in chapter 45, it's like explicit. My servant Cyrus. It's a hundred years before Cyrus even existed. In fact, that's what he's saying here at the end of chapter 41. It says, he's almost challenged a bit to a contest. You know, you've, you're trusting in all these things, these pieces of stone that you've invented to, to the And he says, can they? Can they predict the future? Do they know what's going to happen? Show the things that are coming after, and we may know that ye are gods. Ye do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed. You're of nothing. Your work is not an abomination. Is he that chewseth you. And he contrasts it with his specific knowledge, naming the one who would end the tsunami who would send the people of of the Israels back to their homeland, give them back all the very um, vessels of of service in the temple, send them back with, you know, his blessing. His word is evidence. I remember being challenged in high school they're saying Edmund you're you're, 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 you're you're telling me that you know this book is proof of itself but you proof you you can't get a, a witness to testify to their own integrity you know you, you, just because you know this book says so how do you know there's a God and I've tried to show them you know all the prophecies of the Messiah and they they don't understand that this is not one book written by one author. This, this has been different people at different times in space. Here's Isaiah a hundred years before, and we actually have like physical copies that are very old of Isaiah, um, which not only incredibly describe Jesus and his sacrifice uh, in, in ways that are improbable to, I don't know, 10 to the 50th or something, but he describes here a specific prophecy of naming the king of Persia that would set them free. It's, it's self-authenticating. Back to, to Jesus. Was he fr- afraid? It's not like he's unaffected. It's not like he doesn't have feelings. It's not like he's not moved by concern for what would happen, but he's unmoved in his purpose. He's unmoved in his values. He's unmoved in deciding what he is going to do, who he's going to trust in, and whether he is going to obey. That's what's unmoved that's what withstands the tsunami is he doesn't let go of that right hand that will uphold him. It's that he finds the rock that the tsunami cannot sweep away as it sweeps away huge boats and cars are floated down the street like bits of jetsam and and nuclear power stations are washed away. But But the rock doesn't move. And you need to find that rock. Judas gets his 30 pieces of silver. And he regrets it. What good is this to me now? He throws it down in the temple. He despairs of life itself. What good was this money, this idol? this thing I trusted that was going to be powerful enough to to raise me out of obscurity, to set me up for life, to give my life value and meaning. Now he says to the money, what a waste. Before he said to Jesus, what a waste. It's a change in perspective. What is a waste? Tells us what you value what you trust in, what you really believe is going to be there when the tsunami recedes. Because you're not going to be able to stop the tsunami. Choose wisely. This woman chose she didn't choose her reputation. She was looked down on. As soon as she walked through the door, everybody was judging her. She had a reputation. She didn't choose to hold on to the, I don't know what it was a family heirloom, something of great value, something very out of place that she had that was worth more than I'm sure anything else she had. As long as she had a, another one in the closet at home. But she decided to give the most precious thing she had of value in an act of worship. Worship. That Jesus was worthy of the most precious thing that she could give. That she would she would pour it out. And Jesus defended her her decision says you you've i understand your heart i understand why you're doing this and i accept this act of worship to give me the best that you have i understand that this is love i understand this is agape so now Jesus has done that for us. He's been broken and poured out. The question remains for me, am I willing? Am I willing to be broken and poured out for Jesus? Do I think holding myself together, avoiding the disrespectful, judgmental stares of others, maintaining control, maintaining the skin, keeping for a rainy day, another day I might need. I won't have food. I won't have... I'm not going to trust God for these things. She let it go and trusted God. And so in our lives, we make choices, and those choices may be judged as a waste, or maybe they're judged as being very wise and astute. Maybe we need to think again. If we're being judged as being wise and making good decisions that are in line with the values of this world, we might be resting upon things that are going to get washed away. This morning, Brother Eric was talking about uh, the story of, of Elizabeth Elliot and her husband Jim. And it was big news. These five young, promising men, what a waste. Their lives, they didn't even get to speak a word in the language of these people. They met two people before they were skewered to death. What a waste. And yet God had a way of redeeming it. As Elizabeth showed them who Jesus was, that the God, that I come to those who have killed my husband because I love you. And the God comes to you, the ones who, for whom Jesus, his son, has died. Do you understand that the parallels? There's one who loves you, who's broken and poured out for you. Jim demonstrated that by saying he is no fool who gives the things he cannot keep to buy the things he cannot gain. He is no fool who lays down his life for Christ. He is no fool because the tsunami will be over and he will be standing in the presence of God. And the fact that he missed wonderful years with his young family. That he missed, you know, the wonderful time in a prosperous uh, nation that was budding and growing and and he could have done so much with his talents. You think he's going to have regrets? I don't think so. I think he's going to be able to throw down that crown in the presence of Jesus and say, I'm so thankful I have something that I could pour out to just, just show you an inkling of how much I appreciate The sacrifice that you've made on my behalf to appreciate that you were broken out and poured out for me. I'm so glad I've got something of worth that I can give you. It's not worthy. It's not to be compared. I can't compare to what you've done to me. But at least something because I love it. I appreciate it so much. We have that song in the, the blue book, I believe it's 49. I Gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? I know brother Mike picks it many times. It's meaningful to him, resonates with him. Let's examine our hearts and see what do we consider a waste and what do we consider worship? you ever wondered, what makes you worthy? Worthy. The Lord to be broken and poured out on your behalf When we compare with each other we get into trouble We get into trouble when we compare We can use the wrong Measurements and we don't see hearts. We don't understand intentions. We judge and we measure by things that God does not measure. We measure how much money you have, how beautiful you are, how what you have, and all the stuff that, that that's all going to get washed away in that tsunami and isn't really essential, isn't really your heart, isn't really enduring. But Jesus... Jesus doesn't look at any one of you and see you to be a waste. You may have wasted your life. You may have wasted your time. You've wasted your opportunities. But you're still not a waste to Jesus. It's His love that makes you worthy, independent of the waste you've made. And now he's worthy of our worship. The song that was mentioned: "I gave my life for Thee, my precious blood I shed, that Thou mightst ransom me and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for Thee. What hast Thou given for me?" my Father's house of light, my glory circle throne, I left for earthly night, for wanderings sad and lone. I left, I left it all for thee. Hast thou left aught for me? I suffered much for thee, more than thy tongue can tell, of bitterest agony, to rescue thee from hell. I've borne, I've borne it all for thee. What hast thou borne for me? And I have brought to thee, down from my home above, salvation full and free, my pardon and my love. I bring, I bring rich gifts to thee. What hast thou brought to me? That we conclude this afternoon's service.